Welcome to Theodisc, the podcast with accessible theological conversations to help you grow in your faith and understanding. This is episode 20. If this is your first time listening, then you have a whole back catalogue of great conversations to catch up on. And you can also subscribe to get new episodes on the day they're released. If you've listened in before, welcome back. Hopefully you've been enjoying our episodes and are telling your friends to download and subscribe. On this episode, I'm talking to Nick Crawley. Nick is an ordained Anglican clergyman with experience of leading churches over nearly four decades in Twickenham, Harare in Zimbabwe, Sheffield and Bristol. He's deeply committed to the ministries of the Word and the Spirit and runs a discipling ministry based on the Bible for Life website, bibleforlife.co.uk. Nick also teaches spiritual formation on our graduate diploma and student ministry program. In this conversation, Nick and I talked about the value of reading the scriptures in context, approaching books of the Bible as a whole, and engaging with their literary style and line of thought. We also reflected on how effectively reading the scriptures can be a huge part of our discipleship. My name is Kenny Innes, I'm your host, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick. Well, we're delighted to have Nick Crawley on the podcast. Nick, welcome. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. <laughs> and Nick, you teach with WTC um, and Spiritual Formation, and also you um, run the website Bible for Life. That's right. And we're going to talk a little bit about not just the website, but kind of the impetus behind it, your motivation, what the hopes are for that, and maybe and people listening today can get some real encouragement and engaging with the scriptures. Yeah. But on Theodisc, you, we don't let you get to the theology stuff until you answer a few questions that let us know a little bit about you and who you are. So okay. these are questions, three questions that are based around constants in your life, things that you return to. Um, so um, the three categories are a, a book that you return to, and you can't use the Bible or any of the books in the Bible. Okay. That's disallowed. <laughs> okay. Um a food that you return to um, or a place that you return to. So first, let's look at what's a book that you find yourself returning to? Well, I, I think the book um, uh, that I I default to would be uh, Dallas Willard's book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy. It just had a, a, an astonishing effect on me. It made sense of things in a way which just was it, it, it just so defining. And yeah, so I, I, I'd go back to Dallas Willard. Yeah. My my edition has a an inscription from my wife on the inside. It's the first book she ever bought me after we got married, um, and it sat on my shelf for way too long before I read it. So I I I agree with you on that one. That's an important one. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, a food or a meal that you return to. Um, when uh, Lucy and I first got married, we were, we often had um, times away where we would we would sort of uh, go for the lamb chops. <laughs> uh, and they were just so good and it just made such an impression on me i've never ever forgotten the lamb jobs we had <laughs> yeah I, has lamb kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit recently i don't hear a lot of people talking uh, about lamb it's great i'm very happy with my lamb chops <laughs> and a place that you return to that would have to be up in the lake district at uh at Platterdale. Mm -hmm. my father was the vicar there for a number of years and i just just got there and do some lots of walking around. And for me, that's a sort of home base. Uh, many, many happy memories then. So. Brilliant. Yeah. Great. 
now we know you, Nick, so... <laughs> Yeah, we, let, let's let's turn to what we really want to talk about today. Um, and I guess maybe a good place to start would be just to ask you about some of the background about Bible for Life yeah. and what the aim of it is. I suppose it sort of evolved. Um, about 15 years ago, I began to recognize that when I... Uh, started teaching a book of the Bible as a unit, as a, as a whole thing, just on its own, say, in an evening. Um, I began to realize that people really appreciated that. And one thing led to another, and then um, I started doing more of it, and, and then I started discipling people with that and that sort of strategy. And, and here we are today, many years later, with a whole website, a whole ministry, a whole charity in place and developments going on and, and some very exciting uh, developments continuing just to open up. And I, one of the things I've noticed all the time uh, is that God brings what I need when I need it. Mm. Um, uh, people, people with certain skills. Um, at one point I needed a lot of money to develop it and suddenly there it all was, you know, a huge amount of money and it was just there and available for me. And I, I didn't even ask. It was just brought to me. And and then there were it's continued with the right sort of people and you know now I've got a really lovely bunch of people acting as the trustees on the the new charity we formed and again they've got the right people skills and um, yeah I could go on but it is just exciting I just sort of sense God is just always encouraging me forward on this. So you've developed this website that with all these resources to help people. Yeah. engage with the scriptures yeah what has your own journey with the bible been like well when i was a young boy uh, my father would read the bible to me in fact he read the bible to uh, me and my sisters and brother and we would sit around the breakfast table and he would read the bible to us and and i realize now as i look back uh uh, you know, good <laughs> six decades or something. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, even though I was very, very young, um, I, I, I realized that I was coming across a man who had, uh, was just completely different from everybody else. And, <clears throat> and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I can see now that there was something about those stories of Jesus, which, which communicated all about him and uh, and and he was different and he was special and then as you know years later as I was a teenager um and my faith really got tested at school and you know I knew that there was something different about this and <laughs> and that the sort of objections they were making against my faith which just didn't add up they weren't convincing and at university, I was involved with a group called the Navigators. And then after that, at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, we saw the power of the Spirit working just in extraordinary power. And then I went um, into ministry and with the Anglican Church was ordained and, and a number of different places there and have seen God work. And then 
the, the whole, I, I just, I find a really deep, deep love for scripture. There's, I've never come across a book like it. I, I, you know, I love reading. I love reading good books. I love good literature, but the Bible is just completely different from that. And it has an authority about it. It has a way it speaks to people's hearts and minds in a way which completely transcends anything I've ever come across in any area at all. I mean, it's just nothing like it. And I've been gripped by it. And, and one of the things the navigators did um, at an early, when I was at university, was to, they taught me to learn scripture. And one of the most, one of the most important things I've ever done, and, and it, I just, you know, it just gripped me. And I, and then I, they taught me to learn verses, which was an excellent start. And then I began to re- learn passages of scripture. This was really Dallas Willard's um, encouragement. And I started learning chapters and and long sections. And and again, you know, just the the reality, the word of God starts coming alive in a way which I'd never known before. And and it forms your thinking and it guides you and it leads you into the kingdom really powerfully. And uh, and that's that's just been the journey. And the more I go down this road, the more it just continues to do that. Um, here I am, 65 now, and <clears throat> yet it's happening more. You know? And I love it. And um, yeah, so that's that's sort of my journey, I suppose, or in outline. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing that about hearing the way that the kind of you were invested with the scriptures and that's almost become um, that's something that now you are passing on to other people. And I was I was reminiscing with a friend yesterday talking about the, the Christian lunch group that I had at our school. The leader would turn up at my house once a month with um or once every couple of months with member, you know, like daily Bible reading notes. Yeah. Yes. She would bring them and I hadn't ordered them. <laughs> and she would bring them and drop them off. And then she would say, by the way, that's that's one pound fifty for those. And make me pay for them. <laughs> but there was something beautiful about that because she was she was investing in me and then asking me to invest in my own relationship, you know, with the scriptures. And I think um that's a wonderful thing when you have that. But I think it's also true that there are many Christians who they know the importance of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but they maybe struggle to develop this habit of engaging with it. And this is terribly important. And I, yes, um, I, I thank God with all my heart for the godly uh, men and women who, who encouraged me to read scripture. And I'm so grateful to God that they did. <laughs> Excuse me. But they and yet I realize now that they never really taught me how. To, to in Tim Mackey's wonderful phrase, they taught me to sort of, um, it's a sort of devotional grab bag. You, you know, you rush into the orchard at high speed, grab a bit of fruit and rush out again. And, and apparently that's a good quiet time. Well, it isn't actually. You know? I mean, it may be, it's better than nothing. It's good, but it, but actually there's something much, much better. And that is to really understand scripture for what it is mm. and uh, to understand the arguments and to understand that if Paul wrote a paragraph, he was making a point and, and it was part of a much bigger argument throughout the book. And he makes this argument at this place, in this time, in this way, to make such a point. And when you see the whole flow of the book, then then it, it's just it's just so much more convincing. It's so much bigger and better than just uh, rushing into the orchard, grabbing, grabbing something and coming out. Um, or to use scripture, random verses to sort of argue a point. It's, <clears throat> it was never written to be used like that. And um, so consequently, I've, I found that over the years, I've had to learn a lot of this myself. And one of the things I find has just surprised me and the power of it 
is to stand up and read scripture aloud mm. and, and dramatize it to myself. And so every sentence means uh, means something because it was written. Every sentence was unique and there for a purpose. And you dramatize it and you read it again and again and you read it. And and as I've done this, I'm even today, I'm just amazed by the the, the power of it and the relevance of it and 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 the and the meaning and often the application. Once you do it like that, the application is actually obvious. It's quite clear what we should do. Um, uh, there's no sort of um, it's really beyond any doubt. And uh, and consequently, actually, the whole of Scripture is much more easy to understand. And you can see the, the you can see the points. And in fact, it becomes much more coherent. And uh, I mean, people often say, well, you know, the, the Bible sort of, you know, it says one thing here and then the opposite there. It's just simply not true. And the more you the more you read it and understand it and understand the different books and the context and the meaning of what they're written or the key things in this context, the more you see that, that, that my experience is everything fits together better and better and better. Mm. And, and they're all in perfect unity with each other. And um yeah. Anyway, I, I'm sort of uh, going on a bit, but I, you can see that I'm, I've really been. This has been hugely important. It's the learning how to engage with scripture. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think you know we have a. I often talk about fridge fridge magnet scriptures, or now we have you know Instagram where we we post individuals, and it's great. But um, there is a sense that sometimes that we remove something from its context and then it becomes something other than what it originally was. And I always think about about Gordon Fee talking about that, it, that a scripture can never mean something that it did not mean to those whom it was written to. And so maybe we can then um, do a bit of that. You have talked here about kind of the whole book idea, and I think you were you were interested in looking at maybe one of Paul's letters um, to kind of give us an idea of how understanding the whole flow of the letter can really bring out what's being said yeah well i i, I think uh, i mean if you look at the the letter of the first letter of the thessalonians it's five chapters long and um if you if you you can see it section by section you can see the flow of what's going on and you can and the very basic point to start with is that the first three chapters stand on their own and then the last two st- uh, are an application of uh, of what we should do about it and and uh the one thessalonians is extraordinary because it starts by describing what has basically been a phenomenal revival i mean we would call it something like an awakening something you know a dramatic uh intervention of the holy spirit has happened at thessalonica and and it's resulted in all kinds of uh, of, of things i mean the church has been created and Paul's been driven out, and uh, and and there's a sort of some very complicated going backwards and forwards with Timothy and one or two other things going on, and, and it's hugely complicated. And everybody's there's a, first of all there's been this great power, you know, wonderful evidence of the spirit, and then there's a complete reaction to that. Um, and Paul's trying to sort of negotiate his way through picking up the pieces and. Uh, and and then so he describes in chapter one what actually happened, and he he reminds them that this was what this is what God did. And then he in chapter two he he, he um, responds to some of the accusations that they that the, his opponents, the detractors, are making against this work of God. And he goes through it and says, "No, don't you remember? We weren't. You know, we we were gentle among you. We were." He's just the most beautiful imagery. And and then he talks about his own uh, 
uh, plans with uh, Timothy and going back and forth, lovely prayers. And then he gets on to the discipleship angle. And from chapter four onwards, it's all about discipleship, starting with um, the case of sexual immorality and then talking about uh, the, the, the Christians loving each other and then talking about work and then doing some doctrinal teaching on the uh, on the return of Christ and one or two issues which really vexing them on that. And then a whole series in, in the last part of chapter five on a whole series of rather sort of staccato instructions, which I think Paul used to love to do because it was a sort of pop up elsewhere in his letters. And once you see the flow and the argument, you first of all, you get to know Paul a bit. You see, oh, no, this is the way he, you know, this is a form of his argumentation. Um, but also you can see the, the, the wonderful way he describes the kingdom. And um, anyway, I could go on. <laughs> well, and, and much like the prophetic books in the Old Testament, we often lack context yeah. for the times in which those prophecies are being given i think the same is true of paul's letters that it's almost like they come after the acts narrative and these are things that are happening later but i think you're quite a pains to point out that first thessalonians takes place in the context of um right in the middle of acts is a story there that tells us exactly why paul's writing what he's writing yes that's exactly right exactly right and the context it's it's just so crucial because it, it, it uh, the, the message and what's written will often appears very odd if you don't know the context. But if you do, it, it's uh, it, it just makes all the lights come on. I mean, for example, um, take for example uh, the, the letter of Colossians. Uh, uh, Colossians is there's Paul, and I believe it's definitely him. Uh, he's the author, and he's writing to a bunch of people he hasn't met. And he doesn't know them, and therefore he's writing in a slightly different way. And he's and and, they, and there's also a particular heresy in the Colossian church. It's slightly difficult to know exactly what it is, but you can see you can see the features of what it is. And there's some uh, there's some teacher who's sort of got in is causing problems but so the lot they've got right but one two things he has to correct and so he writes in a certain way and you can see how he tempers the way he usually writes just to sort of to sort of um make the point and underplays one or two things or at least it's not saying he contradicts himself but he he sort of dials down a bit and, and puts slightly less emphasis on it in order to to enhance one or two other things which he needs to they they need to hear and but it's a it's a just a beautiful letter but you're going to miss all that unless you know the context and if you see the context you see wow this is this is just brilliant <laughs> yeah and so in thessalonica that he he's kicked out yes um or they're sent off because they're seen as being rabble risers so this now makes sense of why he's kind of apologetic in first thessalonians saying i wish i could come but I think the way he puts it is that Satan has prevented us. Well, yes, and that, that's often a mystery. My, my, my reading of that is that um, if you look at the Acts account, you see that um, the magistrates in Thessalonica uh, arrest a guy called Jason and, and the people around him, obviously key people in the church, or at least that's the, the implication. And um, I think it's perfectly reasonable to, to understand that Basically, the magistrates say, look, Jason, you know, you're let out on bail. But if this rabble riser comes back, we're going to have you <laughs> for dinner sort of thing. You know? you're, uh, and so Paul, Paul can't co come back to, into the Thessalonica, or at least for a period of time. I think that's a perfectly reasonable way of, uh, of understanding what's going on. And Paul said, Paul, so Paul can't go back in. Timothy can, but Paul can't. And and so yeah, he Paul has to sort of guide the church forward, but at arm's length. 
and you, and you hear that coming out in this deeply affectionate longing for the people a pastoral expression of his care for them that's just in those first three chapters you can get this tension between i long to be with you i've heard all of these reports and what i can do now is write these things to you exactly yeah and um and, and you read it and you just realize what an incredible pastor paul was um, deeply deeply loving man uh, but also just brilliant at um in his teaching and it's just knowing exactly what to say at the right moment yeah yeah there's a couple there's a couple of moments there where he says things like um you're doing this so he's encouraging them um you are indeed living in this way please do it more <laughs> or you are loving one another but i'd like you to love each other more yeah yes exactly yes yes <laughs> the encouragement and the exhortation that's right yes. there yes he's he's just so good at doing that <laughs> And, and even in the last chapter, some just some great, great verses and guidance on how, for example, to admonish people, you know, how to, you know, what to do with the weak, what to do with the people who are struggling, uh, in different categories of people. And in a lovely phrase, he says, do this, do this, do this, and then be patient with them all. It's very, very wise, very yeah. you know, lo lovely guidance on what to do. One of the ways that First Thessalonians seems to be um, used in you know, a way that it's taken out of context is it's a big a book talking about the Lord's return. And um, with trumpet call, we will meet him in the sky. Um, but it's interesting to me, just as a, before we had this call, I went and read through the letter, how deeply rooted Paul's comments about, uh, about that are in the community and what's going on in the context of that church. Yes. So I, I, he, he mentions the second return of Christ uh, in every chapter. So so clearly they were on the edge of their seats um, thinking it was going to happen any moment. In fact, that might well explain, I think it does explain, why some people had down tools when we were refusing to, to, uh, to work. Because uh, they thought, well, what, why bother to work? I mean, Jesus is coming back, you know, three or four weeks' time. You know? Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, again, slightly reading into the text, but it seems to be entirely reasonable. That's mm -hmm. that was what was going on. Now, there may be other issues as well, but you you can see you can see that. And and of course, if you've experienced a mighty outpouring of the Spirit, it's all incredibly dramatic. Um, you can see how in their very new state as Christians, they were overplaying this. And uh, Paul brings, he affirms them in what they're saying, but he corrects them also. Now, uh, I think First Thessalonians uh, is, takes about 10 to 12 minutes to read. If you just sat and read it, you know, we often think about books of the Bible being really long and that's a legend you can read in quite a short amount of time. And if you do, like I said, I did that earlier today, you start to really see this, these overarching themes, what Paul's trying to get at. Um, but it's one thing to know what First Thessalonians says, and it's maybe another thing to know what the arguments are. But that really isn't the final goal. I think that you know the final goal is how can we ensure that when we're engaging with the scriptures, that that stays connected to our lives, that somehow we're applying what the scriptures say to us. Yes, absolutely. So, what are some of the ways that you recommend to people as a um, they're looking. They're developing this sense of I've read it. Now, what do I do about it? 
Um, so the way that I operate with people is to, I might, uh, if somebody's wanting to be coached and discipled through the Bible for Life ministry, um, what I do is we agree a book of the Bible, for example, mm -hmm. a book like, well, 1 Thessalonians, mm -hmm. uh, Titus, something to start with like that. And, and we go away and we engage with this. And I say to people, look, go thoroughly into this book, get completely into it. And then in a month's time, we will meet for an hour, maybe slightly longer. And we will, uh, I'll basically ask you three questions. The first question is, how did you engage with the book? What did you do? You know, did you read it? Did you um, just look at the Bible for Knife notes on the website? Did you? What did you do? And people go about it in very, very different ways. And I often tell people, look, there's no right answer to this. What matters is that you get involved and you and you get and get engaged with the, with the book. And people do lots of things. I know one guy who uh, who literally goes to the gym, puts the headphones on, the, you know, gets on the bike and just listens to it like that. And he really engages that way. Now, not everybody does that. Uh, lots of people do very different. Things. Some people it's looking at pictures. Some people it's it's through through questioning and debate and thinking and that sort of thing. But we all go about it in slightly different ways. There's a lot of overlap. But and so so you do that, and then we get together. We 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 I question them. I say, well, how, how did you engage? Secondly, what was it the book about? You know, tell tell me what are the main points here. What what do you think? And then thirdly, your the answer to your question. What are you going to do about it? And so there's this accountability but i want to emphasize throughout that bible for life is not telling people what the right answers are and, and ultimately it's not uh, me telling other people what they should do it's not it's about them taking responsibility for their discipleship that's the crucial thing so if someone to, were to go to the bible for life website what are some of the tools that they discover there that they that can help them walk through and and engage like you're you're talking about so um, the, the media on the website is divided into four sections. There's what you need to know, which is a little background and introduction mm -hmm. to a book. There's the heart of the book, that's stage two. Stage three is about living the messages, what we do about it. And then stage four is on kingdom discipleship. Now, the, the bottom, uh, in each of the first three sections, there, there, there are, we've got special tools. So, for example, if you want to hear the, the book, you can... Hit the click, the, uh, click on uh, David Suchet reading it, and he's absolutely brilliant at doing that. He reads it so well. And there's also how to hear and how to read, some advice on how to read. And then in stage two, the heart of the book, there's some guidance about um, things that how to study, what sort of literature it is, um, how to how to engage, how to uh, how to get to the heart of the book, and different tools on that. And then in the third section, uh, living it, there's uh, there's things like memorizing scripture. And I can go to town on that because I memorize scripture to rise on that. And worship, you know, uh, the, the worship songs, which put into song what uh, what the message of the book is. And there are a number of other ones, but they're all there. I think we've got about uh, eleven different tools that you can use if you want. And they're, they're different things for different people. Um, you've mentioned him a couple of times already in our conversation, but I I do want to ask you about Dallas Willard, yeah, and the effect that Dallas's work has had on you and and particularly on the approach of Bible for Life. Um, we came across my wife and I came across. Uh, 
Dulles's work somewhere around 2001, 2002, and reread it. And for me, it just made sense of uh, the Christian life. And I know this sounds a big thing to say, but probably in better sense than anything else I'd read before, particularly his teaching, uh, his explanation of the kingdom, and really his kingdom perspective uh, and discipleship in the kingdom. And we are we are apprentices in the family business of the kingdom of heaven. We're learning how to be um, disciples. We're, we're, uh, and and Dallas Willard presents it in a way which made more sense to me than anything else. And um, and and really, in many ways, helped me to answer a lot of the questions I was. Uh, I couldn't reconcile some of the ways the church was emphasizing one thing over against another. It just I, it, it had lots of questions, but there we are. Dallas Willard sort of came and really made sense of that. And of course, if you if you look ar- around the world at the key uh, teachers on discipleship, I mean, I don't know anyone who's not using Dallas Willard. Um, they all are. I mean, John Mark Comer would be a leading example. Um, but you look around England and you see you see the key books that all using Dallas Willard's perspective. I mean, I really think he was. Um, I'm not saying he's got everything right and it's the final answer, but I think he's he's really helped us in this. Um, it's it. He's made coherent sense of the of the word and the spirit in the context of the kingdom. Yeah, and Dallas's kind of refocusing of the word discipleship as apprentice, yeah. I think, really brings home that idea of that we are to do the things that we find Jesus and uh, the apostles saying in the scriptures. And um, I think that's vital, particularly in kind of what you're attempting to do with with Bible for Life, that these are things that we are to experience and to walk out in our lives. Yes. I I mean, just to to root it, as it it happens, the, the passage of scripture that I'm learning this year is Mark 8, the last few verses of that, where Jesus um. Jesus, it says he calls the crowd to him and said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And then he says one or two other things. And then he says, truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see that that the kingdom of God has come with power. And it just perfectly illustrates the fact that that discipleship it starts our discipleship with Christ starts with denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following Him, and it finishes with the kingdom of God coming with power. Yeah. And of course, that's exactly what the apostles went on to experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I wondered if we could just if I could ask you one final question. Just what is your hope for Christians and uh, and churches? What's your hope that they will that they will experience by engaging with with resources like Bible for Life, but ultimately engaging with the scripture? My hope is this, that um, just as so many Christians today have experienced the power of the Spirit, just as I have, um, and it's formed their lives, and it's been, it's just been crucial, absolutely crucial. Uh, so we will also um, learn again the power of the word of God. And I'm not playing one off against the other. It's both. It's both and. Uh, We need the power of the spirit along with the power of the word. 
and uh, and that's what I uh, that's what I long for. Paul writes. Uh, the kingdom of God is not a matter of uh, of talk, but of power. And in Romans, he says the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, endless discussions about well, what you should eat or drink, no, but it's of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And a wonderful defining statement. And my longing, my hope and my belief is that this will happen. And that as God seems to be reforming the church again, very, very exciting developments going on. Uh, I believe that we'll come into a new phase where it's not just the power of the word and it's not just the power of the spirit, but it's churches bringing them both together. And I would love to believe and just be so excited if Bible for Life could have a part in that process. I hope and believe that it will as well. That's the main thing is the power of the word and the spirit come together that we grow in the kingdom. Great. Nick, thank you for spending the time with us today. And where can people go? Bibleforlife.org. There you go. Go and have a look. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate you. That's great. Great to be with you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Nick and Kenny, for highlighting the contextual elements of the Bible and how important it is for us to study the scriptures in our own lives. This leads us very nicely to our next episode featuring the brilliant Scott McKnight, who has recently published The Second Testament, an up-to-date translation of the New Testament commissioned by IVP. Scott describes the process of poring over the Greek text for three to four hours each day, giving him a sense of the Holy Spirit prompting him to see a word or an expression or a sentence in a fresh way. We certainly can't wait to read it. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 21 with Scott McKnight for an insight into translating the Bible. Bye for now.